Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast for Pharisee Watch and Unheralded News, we're going to be visiting our vigil that was conducted at the mega church called McLean Bible Church in Vienna, Virginia, and that's right outside the Beltway in Washington, D.C., and we're also going to be talking about the Occupy APAC event that was the counter event to the annual APAC convention where some 13,000 people attend this. Many senators, we had heard reports as many as 60 of the U.S. senators, quarter of the Congress, don't have exact figures on that. And of course, the President of the United States was there. He was groveling before the APAC people, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But Leslie is going to read for us the report written by Chuck Carlson about the event, and then we're going to discuss further. Vigil for Peace at McLean Mega Church While APAC Demands War. Charles E. Carlson, March 8, 2012. Six men, one woman, and one excited teenager challenged the leadership at McLean Bible Church on Sunday, March 4th, in the affluent suburb of McLean, Virginia. The church claims over 13,000 regular attendees at three consecutive services. Its website lists a staff of 74, each of whom received two letters in advance of our visit. Attendees park in a two-story concrete garage that holds over 1,500 cars. Four off-duty policemen direct traffic. Two squad cars were present to protect our right. Our vigils are well organized, but in no way resemble mass demonstrations. Rather, like Jesus at the Temple of Herod, we go alone or with a few friends with a firm message. We were large enough in number at McLean to display a uniform message of peace to everyone who gave us one glance. Many try not to look, but few can force themselves not to read the large display messages out of the corner of their eye. Messages like, Jesus demands that you seek peace. Why are you not doing so? We do not expect many people to stop and thank us for being there, but a few did. One told us that in Pastor Solomon's message to his huge audiences, he said of us, They are wrong. We are not in favor of war on Iran. We do not support all of Israel's acts. Two members, one of whom was with our vigil, told us the church has many wonderful people, but they are prompted to support wars. One said, Quote, I have heard the full auditorium cheer when someone talks about the need for war against Iran. Unquote. Like most Messianic Christians, former Jews, Lon Solomon plays at being both a Jew and a Christian. He mixes a dash of Talmudic Judaism 
into his Christian sermons references to the book of Esther, for example. It is not coincidental that, as reported in the Atlantic, Israeli President Benjamin Netanyahu presented U.S. President Obama with a copy of the book of Esther, a reminder to the president that, according to Hebrew legend, the Persians, today Iranians, were massacred by the Israelites, called Jews in the book of Esther, a massacre that is celebrated as the festival of Purim at this time of year. But Purim is a feast that celebrates the murder of innocents found in a book, Esther, that does not mention God. What would Jesus say to that? The Esther story tells us, quote, Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destructions, and did what they would unto those who hated them. Unquote. Chapter 9.5 It seems the Jews, a word not used at the time, were living in the land of the Persians and discovered a plot against them by a Persian, Haman, against whom they counterplotted, including prostituting Esther to the king. According to the ninth chapter of this book, the Jews hanged Haman for his ill intent against them and then hanged Haman's ten sons in vengeance for their father's conspiracy. The verses do not say what they did to Haman's wife and daughters. Knowing how Israelis think about the lives of their enemies, it does not surprise that Mr. Netanyahu gave this book of Esther to our president as his gift. Today's Iranians descend from the Persians of the Bible. Netanyahu wants Obama to know that Israel will settle for no less than another slaughter of these enemies. Is Netanyahu seducing Mr. Obama to do the dirty work as Esther seduced the king? The Purim Festival celebrates the massacre again today and tomorrow, March 8 and 9. Pastor Solomon teaches in his sermons that Haman was cursed by God he does not care that the name of God by any name is not mentioned even once in the bloody book of Esther. As I asked Solomon in my letter to him, what civilized people would hang the children of an enemy and then make a national holiday around the event? Present-day Israelis daily starve or kill outright Palestinian children. They suffer no guilt or shame. Only those who, like Lon Solomon, revere Israel and don't hear the words of Christ are inclined to honor Purim. Pastor Solomon describes himself as a former and current Jew. He also claims to be a Christian. He has no problem celebrating Purim, the Jewish massacre of innocents in March, and celebrating Easter, the resurrection of the Prince of Peace in April. Should not those who follow Christ reject those who celebrate mass murder? Mr. Netanyahu will not care if we point out that the name of God in any form is absent from the entire book of Esther, but Pastor Solomon should care. As we said in a prior paper, the book of Esther and the celebration of Purim is good reason to understand why Talmudic Judaism plus Jesus does not equal Christianity as Messianic Christians like Lon Solomon would like us to believe. On the contrary, Judaism is corrupted Israelitism as Jesus faced it. It is corrupted by 30 or 40 books called the Talmud with entangled rules that no one can understand. 
Christ followers believe this corruption is why God sent Jesus. For the last 104 years, traditional Christianity has also been corrupted by the 1908 Schofield Reference Bible Footnotes and by many other books written by various men. Corrupted Israelitism plus corrupted Christianity, as combined in the Messianic Christian Church by Pastor Solomon, cannot produce truth. This is why Project Straightgate has challenged McLean Bible Church and will be back to do it again. The recent poll by The Hill found that 49% of Americans likely to vote think war on Iran is justifiable to keep it from getting nukes. All APEC has to do is convince the majority that Iran is trying to get fuel for nuclear weapons, and war against Iran will have the support of a simple majority. Who are these warring 49%? You may depend on this. The majority is influenced by thousands of Christian Zionist churches like this McLean megachurch pastored by a Messianic Jew. So far, we have reached about 81 of these churches. Many more are hearing about our vigils. Thanks to our friends. Join us. Okay, thank you. Chuck, you might tell us how you picked this church and the interesting thing that happened. In your piece here, you do mention a person been attending for 15 years that found out about the announced vigil, and he had actually been doing his own protest. He called them a protest, I believe in the church because of some disputes on different theology there. uh, We checked with friends in Washington, D.C. area who had theological backgrounds and who should know what pastors believe. And we were told that this was the leading Christian Zionist church. We were told that this pastor flies below the radar. He's very smooth. He's not known for being radical about anything. He, of course, is a Messianic-type pastor, being himself, Jewish origin, which he talks about a lot on his website, and uh, but we were assured that he was a Christian Zionist, even though it would be not be readily apparent unless you actually studied his sermons. And I took the trouble to read a number of his sermons and found that indeed this was the case from his own writings. So he's also the most successful, perhaps, pastor anywhere around there, with a just an enormous place as Tom can attest to and he in fact this church bought a national headquarters of a international organization the national wildlife foundation they bought the whole national headquarters of that organization and then they built uh they apparently only had one uh one story of parking which is a big parking lot but they constructed a two-story parking lot on it out of poured concrete quite a quite a structure and the whole thing is two or three stories high i would say and with a a three lane private road around it oh the nice thing about this chuck was there were two entrances so we were easily able to cover if you will with our signs the both of the entrance for people going in coming out into the church so it was hard to not miss us actually if you will and we had good protection from the police, not that we were threatened in any way. One of the staff of the church did come out, and I don't believe there was really any dialogue, just saying hello. We didn't really 
you didn't get to speak with anybody from the church, did you, Chuck? No, I didn't speak to uh, anyone from the church uh, proper except the delegate who came out to uh, listen in on with the police with our police briefing. Other than the two people that did come out, as you mentioned in the uh, in your piece. Yes. So we had a we had a few people that came out and talked to us about what was going on inside. The, the pastor did definitely mention us and denied that they did what we contended they do, which which is pretty common. That's interesting because he did not want to be thought of as being a Christian Zionist and apparently let his congregation know that, that he was not comfortable with that. So we, we color that as a, as a good thing. Well, don't you think, Chuck, it, uh, because of people like John Hagee, Benny Hinn, who have such a bad rap, people are pretty wise to them. I mean, they still have wide followings, but people want to distance themselves from that. Even at my dispensational church, I gave a, a video that had interviews with John Hagee. It's called With God on Our Side. And the comment from this person, the Sunday school teacher that I gave it to was, well, I don't believe like John Hagee. So he wanted to distance himself, but he would have some of these similar views that we see. And so I've come up with a concept of calling this under the radar Christian Zionism. And, you know, it's not obvious, but it's it's below the surface and people are influenced by the same kind of logic that a John Hagee uh, puts out more violently and prays for war and and calls for preemptive strikes on Iran and, and these kinds of things. It, it will become more and more common that churches want to distance themselves from Rod Parsley and John Hagee and uh, many more like them. These people are going to become pariahs and you're going to have mega church leaders who are going to say, oh, we're nothing like that at all. We, we have nothing to do with them. But they do, and we have to adjust our tactics to make sure that their congregation understand that, that that is the case. They're just as much responsible for the warring actions that are going on in our country as, as is Hagee, who blasts outright and demands the bombing of Iran and so on. Mon Solomon is just as guilty as Hagee, uh, even though he would not call himself a Christian Zionist. He's actually a Jewish Zionist, I suppose, or a Messianic. And we are going to begin Messianic. talking more about the, the, the so-called Messianic Church, which is sort of an ultimate but slightly different wrinkled Zionist movement that has uh, leaders like Juan Solomon, who is himself Jewish and uh, hasn't shed all his Jewish activities at all, talks about... Purim and the book of Esther and things like that uh, in his sermons. And so if you read, you find out that uh, he is promoting sort of a form of Judaism that uh, essentially drags and leads Christians more and more, not just toward Christian Zionism, but kind of toward Jewish Zionism almost. I wouldn't be surprised if they practice some of the Jewish festivals in that church, though we didn't really uncover that. We haven't, and we're not going to spend more time reading all of his hundreds of sermons to listening to him. Fortunately, we were able to read some of them, and it went a little bit faster. And from that, we were able to determine pretty much what he'd said in the past. Well, the other interesting thing, of course, we while we were doing this vigil in front of McLean Bible Church, the Occupy APAC people had started at 
the convention center where APAC was meeting. So they had their demonstrations, very elaborate. They had all kinds of, they had big, like, puppets, and they enacted, they had Music settlements, out, cardboard boxes. It was it was amazing yeah. what what they were doing. And so we joined them after finishing our vigil there at the uh, the church. So there was a two-prong attack. And I think what was also interesting, we got a few minutes to give a, a little bit a talk about Christian Zionism, and we found quite a bit of interest at the Occupy APAC about the subject of Christian Zionism. I thought we found I thought we found amazing interest. We had a lot of people that wanted DVDs and books that we had, and and I don't think any there was anybody that did not show an interest in it that that we ran into. And actually, when we talked about Christian Zionism and its impact on the political problems in Washington, we got a lot of unexpected applause and uh, uh, a, a show of real interest in in that subject. Uh, people were already interested in it. We didn't have to interest them. Well, what was interesting too, Chuck, was the fact there were a group of uh, black people on a panel. There were some pastors and lay people. They were uh, with a, a tour group that goes into the West Bank of Palestine in Israel and shows the real conditions. But two of the pastors mentioned specifically the influence, the negative influence, that is, of Christian Zionism in the black churches. So you have a mere reflection of what's going on in the evangelical white churches. The same kind of phenomena goes on in the black churches. Something I wanted to bring up that is an enormous threat to us, not only through churches, but through especially through our colleges, and this includes Christian colleges, APAC is training. Uh, I think they had 1,000 trainees there. These are, are college-age kids. The ones that we met were mostly some from the U.S. and some from Israel. Uh, they basically came out to practice on us. And, uh, yes. What this is all about is these kids are being trained to go to colleges in teams. So APAC may send a team of a dozen of these well-outfitted, well-trained youth in to disrupt meetings of uh, opposition to APAC's ideas. Uh, this is uh, APAC, of course, American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee, and uh, their objectives, of course, are, number one, war in Iran, uh, but number two, uh, plenty of money for the state of Israel and uh, open policy of funding whatever Israel wants, and then finally, U.S. opposing any help or support of any kind or even moral support or publicity for the Palestinian people. These are the APEC objectives that came out in their meeting and many times over, and this horde that they're training to go to college is a huge threat because these college meetings, uh, which Tom has attended there in Arizona, I've attended them here, are generally not very large, and the students are not organized to cope with a organized opposition group or a disruption that would come from something like APAC. Well, one of the reasons APAC is doing this, putting this probably into high gear, because they're seeing that they're losing the college campuses because of the support of many college students Students for Justice in Palestine has wisely aligned themselves with minority groups like Hispanic groups, 
indigenous American Indian groups, and uh, they are promoting the the cause of the Palestinians as a human rights issue, which needs to be done. So the Israelis are losing ground, the Israeli lobby. And so, yeah, I think that's right. We bantered with a few of these these young guys, and they, they have all the lines down. You really can't discuss with them anything. And one guy gave me a couple of little slick little booklets, only Israel, and they reminded me of the propaganda I got from uh, some communists 40 years ago, you know, about how great uh, communism was. This is how great Israel was and how every, there's democracy there and there's even Arabs that are in the Knesset that are elected. They don't talk about the Palestinians and the occupation or anything like that. So they've sugar-coated it. But people are seeing through it, particularly on the college campuses, which is encouraging. I mean, they still have the upper hand, as I pointed out in another piece, that I felt we almost had them outnumbered. There were about 300 people in the Occupy APAC uh, group compared to 13,000. But at least we were a visible opposition, and I was very encouraged that there were were so many people there from all over the country at this Occupy APAC, which was started by actually Code Pink, whose founder was a Jewish woman, Medea Benjamin, a very courageous lady that organized this. They they had all kinds of events. It was just it was just very inspiring for us to be there. And then doing this vigil that Chuck organized, I think, was kind of the icing on the cake to show what can be done that, uh, as you have pointed out, Chuck, you've got pressure from above APAC on our government. And I should really, I should correct you, we should change that pronunciation to IPAC. The A, which stands for Americans, is silent, and it's uh, overshadowed by Israel. So IPAC, as some way pointed out, really is a more appropriate name for this abbreviation. There's nothing American of, uh, in, in, in APAC, eh? Um, yeah, absolutely, IPAC. <laughs> uh, I, I like it. It's Leslie uh, read this paper, and it uh, does talk about the Book of Esther and about Purim and about this gift, this very pointed gift that Obama, that Obama received from Netanyahu. I believe it's appropriate that we talk about that. We don't want to offend anyone. Uh, and, of course, uh, it is a, a standard d- d- evangelical statement that every word uh, commonly heard, by the way, that uh, every word or every book of the Bible is God's literal truth. And, of course, we are here criticizing this idea of Purim that came out of the book of Esther. And, and in my statement of it, I have often said that Esther is an ungodly book, because God's name is not even found in it. Therefore, ungodly is literally true. And it's also a book of unbridled brutality and incredible scheming. And I might just say in defense of ourselves in, in picking on, on this, Martin Luther had these words to say about the book of Esther. I am so great an enemy to the second book of Maccabee and to Esther that I wish they had not come to us at all. For they have too many heathen unnaturalities. The Jews much more esteem the book of Esther, and he was speaking of the modern Jews of his time, which was in the 14th century, 
uh, than any of the prophets, though they are 15th century, right? Uh, 1400s. Yes. Though they, they, all, though they were forbidden to read it before they had attained the age of 30 by reason of the mystic matters it contains. Well, I don't know if that's if the, if the uh, I don't think there's any uh, restriction on Jews today reading the Book of Esther, but Martin Luther may well be right. But whatever it is, we're in good company with Martin Luther because he would not read the Book of Esther either. So it does definitely promote this brutality. And in fact, I'm surprised that no one ever mentions that in the book Esther instigates the hanging of a certain bureaucrat by her guile, and then out of retribution, they capture and hang his ten sons. And I've never heard anybody say, gee whiz, isn't it a little unnatural to uh, lynch the uh, sons of uh, your enemy? It seems like a little bit of uh, excess retribution. Even in Iraq, we did not hang all the sons of Saddam Hussein, I don't think, and I don't think he had ten anyway. But the book that was given to the president is a pointed. The people, of course, who are the victims of the uh, of the lynching, and uh, the book uh, the book of Esther says that uh, there, there was a general slaughter that went on of unknown number of people. They mentioned 500 in one temple that the so-called Jews slaughtered. The reason I'm dwelling on all this gore is that this is the book that Benjamin Netanyahu gave to our president. And the people who were slaughtered in the book of Esther were the Persians. And the Persians, of course, are the Iranians of today. So this is no accident. Netanyahu was telling President Obama that he was casting a message to him about the slaughter of the Iranians. And I don't know whether he was asking the president to do it or whether he was threatening our president by telling him if he didn't slaughter the Iranians, for them that they had the ability to do it themselves. So what exactly what message he's trying to convey, uh, there, there are some choices that you can make, and people are debating this. But this is an improper, in fact, a very arrogant way of treating the President of the United States to actually, in effect, threaten him, I suppose, by presenting him with this story. And by the way, that story is celebrated on the very day that it was given to the President, the eighth day of March this year, as, as a festival called Purim, which is the most joyous festival, uh, it is said, among Jewish festivals that they carry out. So Netanyahu happened to be, or planned to be, in the United States at that particular date. The APAC meeting was held at the date of Purim, and Netanyahu then presented this very pointed message to our president at the very time they're demanding that we bomb Iran. Chuck, what was also interesting in President Obama's speech to APAC, he made a very curious statement, not so curious, but he concluded a one portion about what we're doing on the diplomatic side, so to speak. But he finished this little section by saying that we will reject the notion that Zionism is racism. And interestingly enough, I've got an interview here on our podcast. You can go to that. The Naturi Karta are a group of Orthodox Jews who are anti-Zionists, very, very, very much. 
and they were in attendance with the Occupy APAC people, both in front of the White House and in front of the convention center where APAC was holding its, its meeting. And I conducted an interview with Rabbi Weiss uh, of the Naturic Karta, and of course his opinion is that Zionism is racism, and we can see that the discrimination against the Palestinians that they've been doing, the occupation, the continued building of settlements in the occupied territory. So there was a very subservient message that President Obama was giving to the APAC delegates. It's amazing that such a small country can command so much respect and groveling. And again, the message of Purim is a message of fear, an ugly message of hate-filled fear. And by the way, in, in the final verses of the book of Esther, the Jewish leader who carries out the slaughter becomes the king of Persia. He takes over. That makes it quite telling. Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for that report today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.